The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 14 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, Peter, what's the news? Well, the the winter went away rather unexpectedly and turned into something that would probably fit into Flanders in, in early 1915 because it was just mud and, and sand and horrible mess. Uh, but then that and went invading away. Germans? Uh, unfortunately not, uh, but uh, a, a lot of mud and, and nasty weather, and then that, uh, but, but it was fairly warm for a few days, and then it turned into the uh, below zero degrees centigrade, uh, which was kind of annoying because I had to uh, get to work uh, for one of the few days when, when I actually had to be in office instead of working from home. Uh, so it was, it, it's been an interesting few weeks. Ah uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I returned to um, to uh, longsword fencing yesterday for the first time in like almost a year, and mm. I'm still feeling the effects. I yeah. am so out of shape. Yeah. Uh, oh God. Anyway, uh, the book we're looking at today is Canite Heresy, the Dark Ages book for Year of the Reckoning, published under the Black Dog label. It's written by Kenneth Height with R. Sean Bergstrom and Jason Langlois. Fiction by P. D. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, and developed by Richard E. Dansky. Uh, now, right away, we get a sidebar stressing how this is all fiction and Jesus was not a vampire and so on. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm an atheist, but um, I found that sidebar a bit much. I mean, I can understand why they felt the need to have a sidebar of that kind, but it still seemed a bit, bit overblown. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. That it's the the fact that it it says that the author of the Canaanite heresy believes that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. If if he does, then good for him. But but I, I feel that pointing that out instead of just saying that hey, this book is just fiction uh, feels uh, a, a bit too much, or, or not necessarily too much, but it feels a bit much. And 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 I'm guessing that it has to do with. This book being published in 1999 in America, and and you still have uh, people like Tipper Gore complaining about uh, Judas Priest and heavy metal and stuff like that. Uh, so so yeah, um, but in in general, as as being a black dog book, I feel it was fairly tame actually. It it do it, it does have some kind of like nasty elements to it, and there are some full frontal nudity in the artwork. But but overall, it's it's one of the I wouldn't say nicer, but but tamer and and more timid black dog books that we looked on, or, yeah, or in was, general. Which which you know I actually think might be a good thing because there was a tendency, if I recall correctly, for people to think that black dog was simply um, you know being extreme just for being extreme. Yeah. Whereas this, I mean, this does mention. Um, and I should probably preface this by saying skip ahead about 
30 seconds if you don't want to hear about some nasty stuff. But mm. this this does include the uh, ritualized cannibalization of aborted fetuses, mm. uh, which obviously... Bleh. But on the other hand, like you said, it, it it's not like it revels in it. It it mentions it in almost like a um, a scholarly fashion. Just well, this was what one of the um, one of the heresies did, and yes, they did actually do this, and they had a reason for doing it. So yeah, and and I don't feel the nudity that is presented in a few of the pictures is anything like ooh in your face. It's just okay. It's a black dog book. We can use nudity. So we're gonna do it. So yeah, it it. I don't know if 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 James died word, but you're right. It is one of the um, the less extreme black dog books, which I I actually I I liked I, at first. I didn't really I wasn't sure if it was a black dog book. I had to check in on the back, and then as I read on, I was like, yeah, okay. Some of the things that are being mentioned in here, I can understand why they they decided to make it black dog. Yeah. Uh, do, do you want to mention anything about what the the year of the reckoning was, just for for the people who uh, doesn't know or don't remember? Uh, well, here's the thing: I, I I can't remember much of it other than you know, uh, White Wolf was was starting to do these years of whatever year of the Ally and and so mm. on. So I can't remember what year of the reckoning specifically was. I I can't either, but but I just wanted to point it out that it was the, the White Wolf White Wolf had had different years with different themes, and and this was the year of reckoning, and I think it had to do with, uh, like uh, a bit of religion. Don't quote me on that. You're you're the expert on on these things, but but yeah, White Wolf had had um, um, overgoing themes uh, in in all of the publications. So you had year of reckoning books for. Uh, for mage and and werewolf and modern knights as well, so it's it's kind of a, an ongoing theme. Yeah. Okay. So the cover art—it's clearly Cain killing Abel. It's done somewhat simplistically, but I think it works for what it's trying to achieve. Yeah, I agree. the The actual picture of of uh, uh, Cain uh, sitting or squatting on on top of uh, Abel's. Uh, body is is very evocative. It's it's very nice. It's um, very feral uh, in in uh, in how it looks, and you you have uh, very vivid um, colors with with a stark red background. Uh, what I don't like about the the cover is uh, is the font or or the title how it's yeah. presented the the Canite Heresy because it's it's look. It looks rather shoddy, and I I don't really know what they're going for with with the style of uh, of lettering that they use. I think it it I think the style of lettering is supposed to echo the sort of feral savagery that you see in the picture. But when when the the Canaanite heresy is is this group that's infiltrating the church, I I think a more um, quote unquote civil uncivil uh, sorry civilized font mm. would be better. Um, because you know maybe some some illuminated lettering or something like that to show that it has to do with with the church. So I'm I'm in agreement with you there. Um, as for the interior art, we have full page chapter breaks that are designed to look like stained glass windows, which I think works really really well. Um, the rest of the art is generally decent and mood setting, with nothing that really jumps out at me as, as being amazing. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I agree. I, I really like the stained glass uh, windows uh, between the chapters, uh, and and I agree that most of the artwork is okay. It's nothing outstanding, but it uh, it's suitable for uh, for the kind of mood that they're they're, uh, they're after. 
Yeah, uh, there's one picture I need to talk about. Yeah, I, I know which one it is. <laughs> it's the one on page 74. Yeah. Um, we, we have a guy wearing what looks a lot like a conquistador's helmet. He's got a, a breastplate on, a, a nice bell-shaped breastplate, but still, you know, that, mm. that's not something that will come around for a long time. Uh, it looks like he's not wearing anything underneath, so he's showing off his massive uh, biceps. Um, he's got huge pauldrons on his shoulders. He's got uh, a metal chain for a belt. He's carrying some weird crucifix-shaped short sword, and I could just go on. Yeah. Uh, that picture is silly. I think it would look better in an old Warhammer fantasy book, actually, especially considering the uh, the biceps that this guy's carrying around. It just It just took me right out of it, that picture. Yeah, it, it was weird, and and there is another picture of of what is supposed to be a human sacrifice, where you have uh, one of the buffest monks or priests <laughs> I've ever seen, because he he's also wearing this kind of of sleeveless surco tunic thingy with with a hood and everything, and then you just have his his outstretched arms holding a. Uh, huge curved dagger and, and they're muscly as hell. So. Yeah, and that dagger is so curved that I'm thinking if he steps straight down, he's going to stab himself in the stomach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just qu quickly to mention um, on page 76, we've got some guys with like massively oversized weapons and massively oversized pauldrons where you wonder what the hell those pauldrons are attached to. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a couple of, of pictures that are just like bad, but the, the, the ones we've mentioned, those are the, the outliers. I think the rest of them, they, they set the mood. Mm. Um, so we start with an intro story, and uh, I'd like to get your take on that intro story. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of split on it, because what it does is it, it uses a very old trope, and that is... Uh, we need to show that that this is a priest or a monk. I think he's a priest, but I that think he's both actually. Yeah, but it, we we want to show that this priest is uh, a bad guy and a sinner. So let's have him perform uh, an act of homosexual uh, intercourse. Uh, yeah, I, I I made that specific note as well because we just had that in the Bali book. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that was just what, what I was going for as well, and 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 again. With yeah, sure, homosexuality, homosexuality was a sin in in these days, but it's it's just lazy shorthand for oh, let's show someone who is depraved and have an older guy sodomize a younger guy, and and it's supposed to be an act of of not really consensual sex, so it is it is it is something bad in and of itself, but I'm I'm feeling that it's it's kind of unimaginative to if if you want to show. Uh, priests or, or religious people as sinners then come on be a bit creative show them eating meat on a friday or something like that to to show off that there are other things or, or other ways to sin than just um, buggering yeah because i think people people know that um uh, in in the middle ages um in, in uh, engaging in homosexual behavior was considered a sin but at the same time I think um, there's a tendency to focus a lot about uh, on that. You would you would be just as much a sinner if, as you said, you ate meat on a Friday or if you engaged in usury. Uh, um, mm. And and I I think it would be really nice, as you said, to do that because that will also show people uh, how different 
um, the the Middle Ages was from uh, from our world. I mean, today there are plenty of places where you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you engage in homosexual acts, but there is absolutely no pr place in the world you're going to get in trouble if you take interest on a loan. I mean, banks yeah. exist for a reason. There, yeah. there are very, very few places, unless you're a, a, a very devout Catholic, I don't think you're going to get in trouble anywhere for eating meat on uh, on a specific day, stuff like that. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is an overused trope. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think it was even back in 1999. Yeah. Um, I think I thought the, the, the story was decent, but it was kind of bland. Um, I was hoping for a little bit more. I mean, the ending of it certainly, I think, achieved the goal it set out to do mm. um, in, in giving us a, a sort of shock intro to the Canite heresy. But other than that, it, it, it lacked something. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, it's, uh, but but again, it's it, it it's good enough for for what it's supposed to do, and and I kind of like that it didn't go too over the top, as we mentioned with with the fact that it this being a black dog book. Yeah. Um... After the intro, we have five pages that are made to look like uh, blood-spattered, handwritten pages that talk about the beliefs of the Canaanite heresy. I suppose uh, that they are um, supposed to be pa pages from the... Let's see if I can actually pronounce this. Euagetematicon. Yeah, something like that. Or actually the central holy text of the Canaanite heresy. Mm. Um, it's a bit... Uh, difficult to read at times, but I, I like these pages because I can see myself using them as handouts, and I think they they do a good job setting the mood. Yeah, I I, I agree with that, and I I like the idea of of like these handwritten page, pages and stuff. But the font that they use <laughs> is is just horrible, and I I had to go like when I was first reading this book. I, I started reading the intro and then I came to this and I, I read a few paragraphs and I was like, fuck this, I'm going to skip. And then I read the rest of the book and then I went back to, to read uh, this because it, it just hurt my eyes the first time I watched it or, or tried to read it. So yeah, so yeah if, if you're going for this, use a better font. <laughs> yeah. Um... The introduction is mainly resources such as movies and books as well as a lexicon, but there is a half page of text and I think it is exceptionally well written uh, and does a very good job of giving a quick intro to the theme of this book. So top marks for that for me. Yeah. Um, I have nothing to say about the resources mentioned except that if you haven't seen the movie, the name of the rose you really should because it is awesome. Uh, and in fact, we, <laughs> we could one day do a side quest about that movie. Yeah, we could, uh, and they they made uh, a remake. Uh, there was uh, a TV series. Uh, just I don't know how how old or new it is, but it's it's fairly new, and it has uh, John Turturro in the role of uh, William of Baskerville. Um, really, I did not know that. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, dude, it's. I, I wouldn't say that it's as good as uh, as the original movie. Uh, there there are some things that are just rather silly. I'm I'm not going to spoil anything, but but there there are basically things because they expand on the story a bit, um, and and some of the things that they do is kind of good, but but other things are are just kind of. Silly and pointless is probably what what I uh, would would call them because there there is a hu huge 
uh, side plot that, as far as I know, isn't even in, in the original book. Yeah. Uh, and and it's just detracts from from the actual story and the actual murder mystery and 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 everything. Uh, they do have quite a few interesting scenes where where they have the religious debates that turn into literal fist fights. And, yeah. Um, and and those are really well made and and it kind of shows that just because you're a monk doesn't mean that you've always been a monk and and that big bearded guy probably knows how to throw his throws his fist around so <laughs> yeah and i i'm not going to spoil what it is but what i think is really great about this movie and the book that it's based on is that it shows that immense huge like you said, leading to fistfight level debates can arise from something incredibly minor. They're not debating the very nature of God here, mm. but something that might seem incredibly petty. So I think that that this um, this film, I must say, I haven't read the book, but I've heard it's 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 good if a somewhat heavy mm. read. Um, but uh, yeah, the the film really shows you the level of debate that was that was going on or i should probably also mention now that we have the resources uh they in the book recommendation recommendations have holy blood holy grail and i cannot recommend that enough if you want to see how a conspiracy covering almost two thousand years can be expertly crafted it is a really fun read uh completely nuts yeah but really fun yeah i was i was going to mention that that as well because that that book is literally about people thinking that there is a, a is it supposed to be still ongoing bloodline yeah, of yeah. descendants from Christ so yeah. so yeah it has and and I think the oh what's what's the one with the um, the conspiracy with with Tom Hanks um, oh yeah uh, is it angels and demons or yeah that one the da Vinci and, and, code the da Vinci yeah da Vinci code, code. yeah that, that it's it's kind of the same stuff but even more nuts basically Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, the Da Vinci Code is basically someone reading this book and saying, "Hey, I'm going to make a, a, a fiction story about that." Mm. Um, I think the best take on on the whole uh, Holy Bloodline of Jesus was in the Preacher comics. Oh yeah, yeah, that is that is <laughs> that, the best one. That is that, that that is definitely the good one. Yeah, anyway, and, and that's um, definitely black dog levels of <laughs> of weird shit. If if you want something like that, but it's Garth Ennis, yeah. uh, so you know be forewarned yeah uh, but all in all it's a really good intro to the, to the book i think we got a bit sidetracked mm. anyway <clears throat> so the first part of chapter one gives us a history of gnosticism and of vampiric involvement with gnosticism and various christian heresies i really love this part it is well written engaging and it presents the vampiric involvement with mortal religion in a very plausible way it also ties real historic events to vampires without falling to the trap of having vampires be the directors of every major event in human history. Yeah, I, I really like this section. Yeah, I, I did as well. And um, I, I want to uh, mention the thing that, that you ended with, that, uh, that vampires are uh, involved with historical events, but they're not necessarily the, the cause of them. And, and I think that's... Um, in in many ways, I that that's probably a more plausible way to to include vampires in historical events that they 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 react rather than uh, than than cause things because if if you think about the nature of a vampire is that it's it's someone who has has time on their hands uh, and and someone who uh, 
uh, has uh, a very big handicap when it comes to interacting with with humans. So in a way, it it makes them a rather reactive kind of of force when it comes to um, to to dealing with with the mortal realm. So instead of of like, okay, I I need to get to Jerusalem, so I'm gonna start a crusade so that the Westerners conquer the city. Um, because that's that's a bit over the top, but rather that when the crusades are ongoing, vampires will um, will uh, hop on the opportunity to see that okay, what can I do with this when yeah. now that it's happening? Uh, so yeah, I, I really like it, and and the fact that they go over so many like th- this this entire episode is is going to be more about religion and philosophy <laughs> rather than history because. This is one of the times when when history and religion basically overlaps uh, in a lot of ways, and and things happen because of of religion, and religion happened because of of historical events and stuff like that. Yeah. So so yeah, it's um, if if you're not into this kind of stuff, you you would probably put this book down by now because it 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 it, it is a very heavy crash course into these different religions. Uh, but it's it's a very good but heavy crash course in, in these yeah. religions. But as someone who who's interested in in uh, the history of religions and philosophy and stuff like that, I found it absolutely engrossing and just kept thinking, I want to know more about this stuff. Mm. Um, one thing I really like is um, while they keep the vampires away from directing uh, the big stuff, uh, from time to time they will take things that in uh, our history people don't really know how that happened and it seems to make little sense for example rather than exterminating a uh, a group of people who follow a specific heresy they are instead supplanted to another area where the heresy then continues to grow and mm. in in real life people go okay we don't know why they did that we have some th- some theories but it doesn't make much sense and then in in uh, in the book they can go ah that was vampires who influenced that that's yeah. that's the kind of thing i i love when 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 they say okay we have some events why did these events happen we don't know now we can involve the vampires because they're not huge earth-shattering world-changing events um, the second half of this chapter presents various heresies throughout the history of Christianity, and even one that predates Christianity. Once again, I think this is really good work, lots of interesting and less well-known heresies, and a great blending of human and vampire history. There's only one minor thing here which gets repeated a few times elsewhere in the book, um, as well as, in fact, other uh, Dark Ages books, and that is the mention of uh, Francis of Assisi. Now, this edition of Dark Ages is set in 1197, at which point uh, Francis of Assisi was 17 or 18 years old and had not yet begun his holy work. But that's really a, a minor thing. Otherwise, I, I love this. It's really inspiring and and it, it wa- makes me want to incorporate more about heresies in my games. Yeah, it is. Um, like I, I feel that this entire book isn't something that you should nail down to a specific year, but but rather how it was especially yeah. when when uh, we come to the Cathars, who uh, their their downfall basically began in the early 1200s uh, with with the Albigensian Crusade, and then then that kind of went on, or the the, the fight against uh, the Cathars went on for for another like what was it 35 years, yeah, uh, and and then even even after Montsegur, uh, 
which Iron Maiden has made a really good song about, by the way, mm. um, which which was kind of the the supposed last stand of of uh, the Cathars. Uh, for those of you who know the story about uh, the Jewish fortress Masada, uh, you can draw some parallels, except that in, instead of of uh, committing uh, collective suicide. Uh, uh, the people of Montsegur were uh, actually killed, uh, uh, massacred rather. Uh, so, so it's um, it's a horrifying event, and and the entire crusade was was rather horrifying. But but even after that, uh, you you still had um, these tiny pockets of of, of Cathars living on way into the 1300s. Oh yeah. Uh, so so yeah. Uh, there's there's another thing that kind of bugs me that that they they just mention it briefly um, and and that is when they talk about the the rise of Christianity causing uh, an upswing in the number of, of mortals with true faith and I I because it kind of it, it hints or or basically says that well um, unless you believe in in a god you can't really have true faith unless you're you're one of these really pious pagans living out in in the boondocks basically and and i don't know i i feel that there they shouldn't they shouldn't the, the amount of people having access or having true faith shouldn't be connected to a specific religion um because that that kind of implies that one religion is more correct than the other and and in, in in general, and in uh, and in the world of darkness, I feel that that's that's kind of mean. Actually, I can mm. I can definitely see that certain events cause an upright in in actual uh, religious belief, causing true faith, like the Crusades and 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 stuff like the, the Black Plague, for example. But well, for that I, matter, the persecution of Christians and yeah. the early start of Christianity, yeah. you could certainly see how many of them would have true faith, but then as it became a more metropolitan religion, that mm. would slowly start to die out, just like uh, other religions who had become, uh, I, I would almost say, complacent, you would see a drop in true faith. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, you should be able to have... Uh, Jewish people with true faith, or or um, Dionysian uh, worshiper, or or Athena worshippers, or or um, Mithraic priests, also having access to or having true faith. So, yeah. but but yeah, that that's just a bit of a nitpicking. But but overall, yeah, I, I really like this book, and and again, it's it's a lot of uh, very short paragraphs on on all of the different uh, uh, the the different uh, uh, heresies that they have. Uh, they 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 mention um, again if we're uh, uh, looking at the kind of crossover between religion and um, and history and, or religion and politics, uh, they they talk about um, uh, Germany, which of course uh, during this time period was was the Holy Roman Empire, um, and uh, and and that the the German part of that empire. Uh, was was kind of like the the more I wouldn't say secular secular part of it. Uh, again, we did we did have an, an emperor who was uh, banished at least two or three times. So so you still have the kind of clash between the pope and the religious power and the emperor and and um, uh, the the mortal power or the worldly power. Uh, but I like the fact that they point out that that. Um, 
religion in in Germany or the heresy in Germany isn't as connected to to what's happening down south of the Alps because of these rather political reasons. Yeah, but um, it's actually uh, I was thinking it was quite interesting what you said about true faith because I think one of the reasons they might talk about um, Christians seeing a rise in true faith is when you look at it, there was a lot more uh, debate uh, and sort of intensity surrounding Christianity than there were with the um, um, religions that had more than one God, because when you only have one God, you will debate endlessly about the nature of that God. But if you have several gods, then all bases are covered. But I don't think that necessarily just because you engage in heated debate about the nature of a god, that necessarily translates to true faith in the game. So I, like you said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with Christians having more true faith than, than pagans would have. Uh, so I agree with you that I think they're, sh- they're selling um, non-Abrahamic uh, religions a bit short here. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and of course, that, that kind of brings up the, the point of, of can you have true faith in other stuff than religions? Because they're just, just go to any internet forum and you will see very heated debates and, and people uh, being, being very, uh, very into whatever kind of stuff that they were fandom, basically, that, uh, that, that they have set their, their eyes on. So... Oh yeah, um, I'm I'm fairly certain there is at least one American who has true faith in his AR-15, <laughs> and um, I mean if you if you end up debating uh, lead singers of uh, various bands that have changed lead singers, there's oh, yeah, yeah. there are people who have true faith in I don't know Bruce Dickinson or something like that, mm. um, bringing it back to Iron Maiden. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, chapter two is a direct look at the Canite heresy. Um, in the Dark Ages timeline, so at this point, 1197, how it functions, uh, their rituals, and so on. Uh, Like the previous chapter, I find this really well written. And I'd actually just like to quote from uh, from the start of the chapter, uh, where it says, um, According to heretical numerologists, each of those stages of of existence... um, Rep- uh, represent a millennium. Thus, the material world has only 5,000 years to run. When those 5,000 years expire in 1239, then will come the time of Gehenna, when the blood of Cain grows thin and withdraws from the material world, crumbling like clay left too long in the sun. The majority view of the heresy is that the third Cain will appear in the year 1206, dwell on earth for 33 years like Christ, and so on and so forth. Um, now, the later dates that uh, the following Dark Ages editions are set in kind of ruins this a little bit, but I think this is just perfect for a game set in the late, late 12th century. You get a real sense of any minute now. Uh, it, it really is a great story hook, and obviously in the later editions you can talk about, well, what happens to the Canite heresy when their great prophecy fails to, um, to, to be fulfilled. Uh, but really, this this right here just makes it okay. If if you're involving the Canite heresy, then they're thinking there is less than fifty years until the third Cain will appear, and and it gives them a real reason to be very very intense and and you know fervent. So I think that right there was just the perfect choice to make. Yeah, if if you want to make uh, an uh, apocalyptic game more or less, then then this is a very good setting or, or a good tool uh, to to use. Uh, and and of course, 
you can always do the, the, the classic when it comes to all, all uh, prophecies and stuff like that, that no, we, we just miscalculated. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it, it's the, the world doesn't end in 2012. It's, it's actually supposed to be uh, 2021 or something. The, the two last two digits just got uh, yeah. uh, flipped or something like that. So, but but yeah, if if you wanna if you want to run uh, an ap- apocalyptic game and and have basically the world on fire, uh, you can pretty much have it. Um, especially again, historically, a lot of things happened in um, in in kind of the the turn of the century around the year 1200. Uh, you have the Teutonic Knights, who are, are find, founded in the late uh, 1190s or something like that, and and you have um, the Fourth Crusade against Constantinople, and uh, you have uh, a lot of political strife uh, strife up here in uh, Scandinavia between the Swedes and the Danes. Um, again, again, exactly, and uh, and it's that's that's not going to change for a couple of hundred or many many hundreds years. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, you you have a, a lot of things going on, and, and of course, uh, you have things like the um, uh, the Mongol invasions. Uh, kind of at this point, oh, I please don't quote me on the exact year, but but Genghis Khan should basically have started his conquest west, and and having. And he didn't reach, um, or his armies didn't reach Europe until the 1200s. But but About again, 1240, just, I think it was. Yeah, but but still, just having these um, these rumors about something happening in the east and an unstoppable army of horsemen and just what that invokes when it comes to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, you you can have a really kind of like doomed setting uh, with just all of these things happening, um, and and of course you can turn it into if, if you want to want it to take place uh, during the uh, Albigensian Crusade against the Cathars, um, just th- th- then then you can have all of these things mixed. Um, yeah, exactly. for, for those who don't know, by the way, um, uh, Cathars uh, is is the name of the. Uh, of the actual heresy or, or the people, uh, but um, they mostly hang out or uh, in in the region of, of Albi in southern France, so that's why it's called the Albigensian Crusade yeah. and, or the Albigensians. Um, so so yeah, how how much time do we have to talk about the Cathars and their influence on on stuff? By the way, because... well, I think that might actually be something we want to say for a side quest because the mm. Cathars is a very very interesting. Uh, topic. They were one of the most um, uh, successful heresies, and and you know they they still today people uh, are inspired by them, as seen by Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and as yeah. seen by um, all of those things. Uh, and and if I recall correctly, we have a friend who's a bit of an expert on that uh, topic, so uh, we might we might want to have a talk with him about the uh, about the Cathars at some point. Yeah, yeah, we we need to bring him in. Uh... To, to lure him into this, but but yeah, but um, not only the the modern stuff, but that um, the Albigensian Crusade is is also the uh, origin of uh, the the kind of infamous phrase "kill them all and let God sort them out." Yeah. Uh, and if if that's exactly how it was uh, said, is is pretty much up to debate. But it was um, it was from, the sentiment. Yeah, it's it, exactly, and and it, it's. Um, 
It originates from the massacre at, at Béziers. I hope I pronounced that at least closely to what it's supposed to be, uh, which was a French city. And in 1209, the, uh, the papal armies... Um, led by a Cistercian monk. And again, we, we have the kind of connection between warfare and, and Cistercians, but uh, the, the, uh, the army was actually led, not necessarily in the field, but the, the command of the army uh, was, or the commander of the army was a, an abbot called Arnaud Amalric, who was a Cistercian and a papal uh, legate. Um, and when it came, when, when the army came um, to the city of, of Bessiers and, and they conquered it, um, some of the soldiers supposedly asked, uh, well, how, how do we know the heretics from, uh, from the faithful? Like, how, which one are we supposed to kill? How do we know that we don't kill innocents? Or, 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 that, or, or rather, in, in a more horrific way, that how do we make sure that we, we actually kill the Cathars and them just not saying that, no, I'm a, I'm a Catholic, please don't kill me. Um, so supposedly, uh, Amalric answered that um, uh, kill them all. Uh, God will know his own. So that basically saying that if if you kill someone innocent, then they will still go to heaven because God will realize that they have been vi innocent victims of murder. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's it's kind of like they died in a good cause because they yeah. died because we were killing heretics, which is yeah. a horrible thought. Uh, and and I'm, I mean, there are a lot of people who say, no, this is just anti-Catholic propaganda. I'm not going to debate whether or not it is, but I'm going to say in the world of darkness, this was definitely what was said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's that's a really good point. This is this is in real world history. This is world of darkness history. You can have uh, make it as, as dark as you want to. And and again, considering the amount of, of uh, cathars, they, they weren't really that many compared to, to uh, actual or normal or whatever you want to call them to, to Catholics, but but still the fact that they were willing to kill at least as many non-Cathars as Cathars kind of shows that the the, the sanctity of life uh, and thou shalt not kill isn't or or at least in these cases wasn't really that high up on the yeah. priority. It's probably also worth men mentioning that this was just as much a political action as it was a religious yeah. action because yeah. the king of France had little to no control over uh, the area known as the Languedoc, uh, southern southern France here. Mm. Uh, so he wanted to get the local counts in line and he saw a way to do it by exploiting the Catholic Church um, who obviously wanted to do something about the heretics. And obviously this was the last time that the King of France exploited the Catholic Church to get rid of his enemies, <coughs> Templars. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I, I was going to go into that, that, that this king, is it Philip II? Or, uh, it's one of the Philips, yeah. Yeah, one of the, one of the Phils. Uh, <laughs> that, that this wasn't really anything unique to him and and again since the uh, Albigensian crusade went on for quite some time but uh, but but what he did because he was pretty much bankrupt and and he he needed money and he was kind of in a um, bad bad standing with or not necessarily bad standing but but he was uh, he he wasn't really that powerful compared to for example, the, the Templars or the nobility. So he needed, he kind of needed to, to do a show of force and, and and grab as much as he could. So he he targeted uh, not only the Templars but, uh, as you mentioned, the 
the Counts of Languedoc as well. Uh, so, so yeah, that's uh, he was an interesting fellow. Yeah. Let's let's keep it at that. Yeah. Um, so, and, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to uh, to to touch on another thing and and kind of tie it back into the whole vampiric thing um, because I was I was just reading the reading up on on stuff with the um, with, with the Cathars uh, and uh, again. To kind of nuance it a bit, like the the aim of the Catholic Church wasn't necessarily to to murder everyone who wasn't a Catholic because oh, no, 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 no. dead dead peasants don't pay taxes and uh, dead peasant souls don't go to heaven if they die yeah. heretics. Yeah, exactly. I I think to, if if I'm going to be kind of frank, since we're on in in France and <laughs> and kind of like cynic. I, I think that that a lot of the times the Catholic Church cared more about the the tithes and the yes, taxes true, rather true. than the souls of, <laughs> of the people. But again, if it's it's a lot better, it's it's the kind of saying that that if uh, if you're a robber or a highwayman and you kill all the merchants coming through, then then you can only rob them once. But if you just uh, if you just tax them a bit, then you can do it repeatedly. Um, and so if if you can get a heretic to repent their sins, then you can take all of their stuff. Uh, and then you can do it again in a couple of years. But uh, to uh, bless you, damn you, whatever, uh, close it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, but what happened um, a lot of the times uh, um, was that you were you you were convicted a, a heretic, and then you had to pay fines and stuff like that, or perhaps going to exile if you were unlucky or whatever. Uh, but in in some cases, to uh, as 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 a more of an uh, uh, a permanent or or obvious sentence was uh, especially for Cathars was that they had to wear a yellow cross on their um, uh, on their uh, uh, on their clothes and it it happened to uh, for example the the noblewoman uh, Beatrice de Planisols uh, and uh, she she was actually she was born in twelve seventy four and died sometime in the 13, uh, 1320s. So, so again, this is almost a hundred years uh, after the uh, the Cathar, uh, after the, the the Catholic Crusades, the Albigensian Crusades. So, so the uh, the Cathars hung around for quite some time. Uh, but um, what's what's kind of interesting, at least if if you're a nerd like me, is that it's supposed to be a yellow cross, um, and uh, it's. It kind of brings the connotation of, of uh, not, not only the yellow badges that Jews were at yeah, times exactly. being forced to wear. Uh, sometimes Jews were forced to wear yellow hats. Uh, in in sometimes and in some places, uh, prostitutes had to wear yellow as well to show Ye- that they yellow were kind shoes of... often. Yeah, uh, but what's what's really interesting is that uh, Cain in uh, in religious in, in Christian art. He is often um, uh, shown having a yellow beard, oh. uh, kind of as as the mark. So, so you can you can probably have a lot of fun with with the kind of symbolicism of, of this. That that yeah, the, the yellow uh, the yellow cross of the Cathars uh, isn't necessarily a, um, a a badge of shame as much as it, it could be a badge of honor or a sign that you. Uh, that that you're connected to the to the Catholic Canaanite heresy and and you have a 
a connection to to Kane himself, yeah. perhaps even. But but again, just just take take this and run with it and, and yeah. go crazy. Have have you you can have uh, hidden signs with with painted in yellow and stuff like that. And, and if you to... want to go Cthulhu, you can have the king in yellow or whatever. Yeah. But I, I, I want just... to dye my beard yellow. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Please do a post it on the Facebook. <laughs> um, so one thing I did, did wonder about in this chapter was on page 45, where it talks about heretical monasteries. And it says, mm. usually such monasteries consist entirely of ghouls from abbot to novice. And I kind of wonder how that can be, since we know that every monastery has at least one vampire in it. Yeah, uh, exactly. A <laughs> uh, couple of other things in, in this uh, chapter. Um it being uh, um, me, I, I have to mention at one point they mentioned a broadsword, which obviously should have been an arming sword. Mm. Very minor detail. Yeah. Uh, and then when they talk about the geography, they have Flanders in the section on Germany. At this point in time, Flanders is a part of, uh, of France, though much like the Languedoc region, it is very, very uh, independent. But the, the county of Flanders is actually theoret theoretically under the the french king but like i said really minor stuff one thing i absolutely love about this chapter is the iconography and subversive verses section yeah. which hails back to what we were talking about when we looked at jerusalem by night where they try to find justifications in the holy text either directly quoting it or very subtly changing uh, the text this is this is uh, really really good it adds some uh, something to the portrayal of a heretic where if you have a situation where a heretic has to sort of justify their beliefs and why they do what they do they can start throwing down bible verses and saying ah but look here yeah. um, and then there's one thing that was a bit weird that's uh, they mentioned a group called the knights of the sable rose who are uh, uh, um, a canine order of knights who were all noblemen but they're also mentioned as being great smiths and I mean, that must be something that happens after they're embraced. But yeah. but the way it's presented is that, that usually they're taught uh, when they're mortal, which just would not happen because mm. there is absolutely no way that a nobleman would learn blacksmithing at this time. It would be seen as completely beneath them. Sure, they, they'd learn how to maintain armor and possibly even repair it, but they would not learn how to forge anything in metal because that is craftsman's work and not only would it would the nobles say no 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 you shouldn't learn that but the craftsman would say hang on no 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 we have guild rules no noble learns a craft yeah exactly it's but again it's they, they probably have that potence power that that make you able to make a magical source or something like that so yeah I, I would just put it down as something that happens afterwards yeah. or uh, but but yeah and and I do love all of these like the subversive verses and the 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 hidden the numerology and and the uh, one four fifteen thing which um, harks back to references to Genesis four fifteen and then you have uh, these basically passwords that that uh, uh, one person says uh, jubilis, uh, which means rejoice, uh, and then uh, the response is Jesu uh, vinkit, Jesus conquers, and then uh, you go back to uh, the first person uh, replying Christi victis, which means uh, Christ is the victor. Um, and if you look at this with the Latin spelling, 
uh, you uh, or rather the Greek spelling of of Christ with the chai the, the yeah. X, uh, then then you get the Roman numerals one four fifteen, which is again the uh, the references to Genesis four fifteen. Uh, therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be upon him sevenfold. Yeah. Uh, and and just I'm I'm just a sucker for this kind of um, silly hidden messages and and numerology and 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 passwords and stuff like that. Because if if we go into to mortal society later on in the 1700s when you have the Rosicrucians and the Illuminati and the Freemasons mm, yes. and stuff like that, you you have this incredible like silliness of of grown men dressing up in in weird robes and and stuff and and basically larping secret society yeah, i was and, just and about to say the silliness of magic. grown men dressing up <clears throat> i'm a larper so are you yeah <laughs> i know i know but uh, but but yeah exactly you you, you realize the silliness of, of it and i don't think the people dressing up in the 1700s did because they took it so incredibly serious <laughs> yeah. and they had all these silly hidden codes and everything uh but but yeah i i just love it and and the fact that it's it actually works it it is a good references to to whatever and they use proper latin and everything that's really good good on you very very nicely done um and and speaking of of uh like propaganda and, and stuff like that on on page 55 we have a, a fantastic uh i think it's a wood carving or or um one of these, what's it called, bronze cuts. Um, um, oh, yeah. Uh, which is, it's probably a lot later, I would say, probably from the 1500s when you, you had the, uh, the Lutherans starting their, their own heresy, basically. <laughs> uh, but but what you have is, is a picture of uh, a very demonic uh, creature with, with horns and a long nose, and he has a face on his stomach and, and claws, uh, and uh, the very uh, parodic um, attire of of the Pope, including very fancy shoes. Because I was just about to mention shoes those shoes. And the Pope is is a whole thing, and they're very symbolic and stuff. Very like that. much. And and then it just has kind of kind of like a speech bubble in a comic, actually, but just the text. And it says "Ego sum Papa," which means "I am the Pope." Um, and and these uh, woodcuts and and carvings was was widely distributed you, you had basically propaganda sheets just being handed out or thrown in the streets uh making fun of the pope or making fun of of martin luther martin luther as well and and this when you got the printing press you could easily uh have access to to these kinds of uh of uh of, of propaganda pieces basically yeah uh, and and the fact that you you have the shoes and and the papal tiara and um and and stuff like that meant that even if you can't read the very simple ego sum papa you still realize that this is supposed to be the pope and you can laugh at it and and it's a very useful tool yeah uh, so a bit out of date or or too early rather but but again a, a wonderful uh, addition because it's it ties back to to the whole thing that um the Pope and the Church is something bad when it comes to the Canaanite heresy. Exactly, and I mean those those codes that you talk about. I mean, involving them in the game is just an and would be an awesome thing if you have one character uh, that is a member of the the heresy and the other characters are not, and then that character meets someone and the others can go, "Why did you talk like that?" Um, it mm. it it's something that can make the game more interesting. 
So, yeah, and and you can probably make up your your own stuff as well yeah. if, if you want to go with that. But but yeah, the, the whole chapter and and they talk about hi, uh, hiding things in uh, in stained glass windows uh, and stuff like that is is really nice because since you've had all of these uh, stained glass uh, window artwork between the chapters, if you if if you come to this part of the book. And then you talk about, oh, how clever, you can hide, uh, like, canine heresy symbols in, in stained glass windows in the churches. And then you go back to the previous <laughs> chapters, you'll notice that it's there. So it's, yeah. it's very clever, all of this. Yes. Uh, chapter 3 is about role-playing, giving advice to both players and storytellers and some ideas for games. Um, what's, what's your take on this chapter? Um, I, I think it was quite useful for, for what it was. Uh, and... And reading reading all of this, or rather reading the the whole book, um, kind of started uh, started me thinking on on something that we've we mentioned a bit in in previous e- episode, and 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 that is kind of like, uh, and especially when we were talking about the Bali and and uh, uh, the modern Bali book that that we reviewed, uh, is that there are a lot of things that I really like about the whole idea of. of the Canite heresy, uh, but to to really make the most of it, you need to have it. Um, it, it has to be so large and influential that it kind of leaves very little room for, example, the the struggle of the La Sombra and the Toreador in the church and and stuff like that. So again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like if if I really want to do uh, at least from from a storytelling perspective, if if I want to do a um, a campaign or a chronicle focusing on on the Canite heresy, I would kind of make it uh, a standalone to the rest of the world of darkness to to really take advantage of of everything it has to offer, so that you can actually have just this immense. I wouldn't really say conspiracy, but this immense heresy <coughs> that that really influences everything, um, and in, instead of it just being a tiny sect uh, mm-hmm. with yeah. its fingers here and there, if if you kind of get what I'm after. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting way of doing it. And and again, you can you could do the same with the Bali and stuff like that, uh, or uh, or or you could if if you just want to, to do something. Um, Something different. I'm I'm thinking that it it would be kind of interesting to treat the um, uh, the Canite heresy uh, in kind of the same way as um, as Christian heresies. That it's it's not necessarily this diabolical um, heathen or or uh, heretic thing. That it's it's just a different way. It, it would be uh, of of worshiping Christ or or uh, interpreting the teachings of um, of Christianity. So. So it, it, if, if you want to include Canite heresy, but on a smaller scale, perhaps you could do uh, like having, having people who think that, yeah, Canites are, are the way to salvation uh, and having a few of them being these um, child sacrificing uh, hedonistic extremists rather. So you can, you can have them... Um, Living, not necessarily living side by side, but but coexisting with with normal Catholicism and just have it as as a kind of a toned down version of uh, of the Canite heresy to make it fit into your standard world of darkness, perhaps. 
Yeah, yeah, all really interesting uh, stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know this has some pretty good advice. I <clears throat> I always think that advice on um, uh, how to properly portray religion in the Middle Ages is is a good thing because um, especially if if you've grown up in a relatively secular society like mm. we have, but also if you've grown up in a more religious country, it's it's difficult to really grasp how all encompassing religion was in the middle ages so so getting some advice on on how to portray that both uh, externally and also internally in a character yeah i think is also is always uh, a good thing to have yeah and and as you mentioned previously like the the christianity of today is very different from christianity 500 years ago and and just like the the fact that wearing certain types of of, of fabrics uh, uh, or eating certain types of food on on uh, certain days and stuff like that was a very big thing. It was uh, just as bad as, for example, um, adultery or, or uh, paganism or stuff like that. So, so it's yeah, I, I agree that it's it's good to get a different perspective on on what things are supposed to be like back then. Yeah. So chapter four looks at the people opposing the Cainite heresy, the Catholic Church, mortal nobles, or the Cainites. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but this is yet another really good chapter with lots of story hooks. Both if you're running a Cainite heresy chronicle, or if you want to use the heresy as antagonists. There's a sidebar on page 76 that mentions the Order of the Bitter Ashes. Uh, they will get a bigger write-up later, uh, I think, in the appropriately titled book, Ashen Night. So I'll talk more about them then. But for now, I'll just mention what it says here, which is they are vampires who have drunk from the true Holy Grail and mm -hmm. had the curse of Cain partially lifted. Yeah, I, ha I have some opinions on that, but I'll save that for when, <laughs> when they when they get mentioned in a later book then we can we can talk about that but other than that yeah. sidebar i i don't have anything to add uh, to just you know my praises of the chapter really yeah i i agree uh, i i haven't read the ashen knights book yet so so i'm I, i'm curiously looking forward to what you have have to say about ashen knights when we get to that book but but yeah and i i've, I've said this before when we talked about um the uh, Constantinople by Night book and, and others like if if you have story hooks they they don't need to be long or they don't need to be detailed but if you have story hooks that makes me want to go ooh I want to run this as a game or this would be interesting to play in uh, then then that is something uh, that that's that, that always gets high marks for me because that that's a sign of quality and and the kind of the, the story hooks that that they have uh, is uh, they're, they're really good and and they're not really short. They have like what is it five or something? But yeah. but all all of them are are really interesting and and just something that you can take and and build from and expand. Um, and of course, you can always mix and match. But but these this this was something that I I kind of missed from the Constantinople by Night book. That you you don't have to spend a lot of time and space on it, but you can just if if you can boil it down to uh, basically, the the undertitle or the, the subtitle of a movie, like uh, for for instance, they 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 have one here: "See Venice and Die." Like yeah. that's that would be an an excellent catchphrase for for a movie poster or something. And and yeah, it you don't need more than that. I'm I'm going to watch it, or I'm going at least going to see the trailer and, <laughs> and see if uh, if it's something for me. In a um, world. <laughs> 
Yeah, in a world of darkness, where <laughs> vampires rule the night. Uh, but but yeah, and, but another thing that I I really enjoyed about this uh, chapter about how they um, how they they kind of uh, mix the uh, and, and you mentioned it briefly as well. The, you kind of uh, mix the the mortal enemies and and the, the immortal enemies of it and. And I really like when when you can include both that that you can show that humans, yeah, a human is is a weak and fragile thing and can easily be killed by by even a neonate um, vampire. But if if there are hundreds of them and they have torches and pitchforks and they attack in the day, then it's gonna be trouble for the vampires. So so they're kind of building up to this, uh, especially when they start talking about. Um, uh, the Dominicans and and their kind of rise to yeah, well not necessarily rise to power but their emergence and and it, they kind of hint at what's coming with the Inquisition and what that will lead to. Uh, so not only is it good uh, is it a bunch of good uh, uh, storytelling device, but it, it it's also good storytelling in in kind of hinting at at the things to come for for the vampires. So so yeah, I, I really like this chapter. I, I like this book overall. Yeah. It's it's nice. So the last chapter takes a look at the road of the devil, and while it is a short chapter, I kind of feel like we didn't need it, uh, since we've already had re-examinations of the road in previous books like mm. Clan Book Bali. Of course, this is the road most likely to be abused as the road of being evil all the time yeah. or doing anything you want, but I don't think we need to retread it quite as often. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's it, it kind of... It, it brings on the problem that, like, okay, which which book am I supposed to go after as a storyteller and a, and a player? Because if if I bought the Bali book first, is that what's what's happening, or is this since this might be the newer book or or whatever? And and when it comes to conflict, which one is um it's supposed to over overrule the other? And it doesn't have to be a problem, but like you mentioned, it's. It doesn't. You you don't really need to include it in this book as well because it it just it it creates a problem that wasn't there to begin with. Yeah. So we end with two appendices. The first looking at some NPCs, both heretics and their enemies. This is pretty much your standard NPC section. Uh, so I think people know what to expect here. Yeah, uh, I I think there weren't really that many NPCs actually, but but I do uh, I, I do like the characters that have uh, my my only slight gripe is that uh, Father Paul of Messina, the legati alatera, that he's he's a papal legate. Uh, it it says that his um, uh, his face is friendly and his manner is jovial. Uh, he seems always ready to listen to any story and to add a little laugh uh, of his own at the end. Uh, and then the picture of of him is just it, it looks like a very bored uh, Marlon Brando almost like the the the, the older Marlon Brando uh, when when he was his good well he's, he he still had good looks when he was older but he when he wasn't as fit as he was uh, in yeah. his early movies he, he he looks like you've just told him a really really bad pun yeah exactly and he's like Really? Seriously? Really? Um, you, you're getting banished just for that pun. <laughs> yeah. You're getting punished. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the, the characters, the NPCs in, in this uh, book uh, are really nice. I, I like it when they have ghoul characters. Yeah. Um, because um, I, I, 
especially one of the characters is an independent ghoul. He's a mercenary who works for Vitae. Um, and I, I often find it difficult to, like, how do you get these, especially older ghouls, to work? Because they need quite a lot of, of uh, Vitae. And so if, you, if they don't get it, then they're going to die quite abruptly. Um, and, and figuring out ways for, for ghouls to get access to... Uh, to vampire blood is is always something that I, I'm struggling with. So I appreciate the fact that they included and give some hints on on how it can be done. So so good points on the ghoul hue. Yeah, we end with appendix two, which is rules, specifically a new knowledge heresy and some merits and flaws. The knowledge seems somewhat redundant. Seems somewhat redundant. It's um, knowledge of the Cainite heresy, but I'm thinking that that could be covered by a combination of theology and occult. Uh, as for the merits yeah. and flaws, they seem a bit take it or leave it. Nothing I feel necessarily adds anything major to the game. Um, do you have any you want to single out? No, I I agree. It's it's very much. Like if if they wouldn't have included this chapter at all, I wouldn't miss any of it. Um, some uh, some of these things could be like cool uh, plot devices or story hooks in their own, but I, I it it's yeah it's it's kind of a meh actually. Uh, yeah, I mean many of these merits and, and flaws you're thinking either they could be covered by something else, even just backstory, or they're more. Uh, merits and flaws that would work really great for an NPC to to set them apart, but not something that I see a, a player character have. Um, all right, so time to judge this book. Historically, there are one or two tiny mistakes, but it's clear that the writer knew his stuff, uh, was really passionate about it. It's really well written, so kudos for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's just just reading this entire book. Uh, uh, just, just first, first off, mentioning the fact that uh, this is basically a book of, of fluff. You, like we said, you, you have a very short chapter with just uh, a knowledge and some few merits of flaws. Mm. Those are basically the the only rules that are in this book. The rest of it is is, is just um, story building material, world building material. Um, which, in in a way, if if this isn't what you're after, or uh, the topics isn't something that interests you because, like I mentioned, it's a lot of religious and historical and philosophic, uh, philosophical debates going through it. If if that's not what you're after, you're not going to enjoy this book. Um, but the way it is written, the, the actual quality of this book is is excellent. And reading it and reading about all of these different heresies, it just hits me how incredibly suitable. Christianity and and it, different sects um, is to including vampires in it because you you have the uh, this is my blood and this is my flesh yeah, if exactly. you eat and drink of it you're gonna have eternal life just you can you can build an entire Canaanite heresy around that and and that's basically what uh, what they've done uh, so so mixing real world religion and and politics and and uh, philosophy and and history uh, and turning it into uh, this uh, this storytelling material about um, these these blood sucking vampires uh, in in a very good way in a in a very evocative and and interesting way uh, it it gets really really high marks for me as well yeah well done yeah as a gaming book I mean I loved it I don't want to run a Knight Heresy game 
but I most certainly want to include the heresy in more of uh, my Dark Ages games and books, and I think it could be interesting to play a member of the heresy in a game or have a single player be a member of the heresy in a game that, that I ran. So I, I would say, just like you said, you have to be interested in the idea of religion and specifically heresy and the philosophies in, in Christianity uh, to, to enjoy this book. But if that holds any interest for you, then this is a, a, a really great book that's going to give you a lot of, um, a lot of ideas. Um, so I think I've actually found a problem with doing this podcast. I keep getting ideas for characters I want to play. Last book made me want to play an Einherjah, and now I want to yeah. play a heretic. So <laughs> that, yeah. that's, but, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm thinking if if you're going to include um, uh, a character, just just a single character in a coterie that that is uh, a Canaanite heretic. Uh, how how would you do it as a storyteller, or, or how would how do you think it would work? Because it comes back to kind of the problem with we had with the Bali's that you you either or this is this is just what I feel and kind of what I was talking about previously that you you either need to have the Canaanite heresy be a really really big part of of the world of darkness and that leaves less room for everything else. Or you kind of need to tone it down so you don't just get uh, oh look it's a Canaanite heretic kill him on on site. Well I would I would probably I'll probably do it in much the same way as the Tremere who tend to be very involved with with uh, their clan and their chance you basically have it as as a thing that this character is involved with and they might try uh, they might involve engage in um, in philosophical and religious debates with others and and try to convince them but but have it as sort of their side thing just like a lot of other people can have sort of their side thing you're right you, you have to be careful that it doesn't dominate and you have to make sure that the heresy is not so hated that a heretic will be killed out of hand but if you have a few powerful heretics in the area then then they they can sort of be the protectors of the heresy obviously it becomes uh, a bit more interesting if you set the game after the third cane is supposed to have appeared and they're supposed to have the the gehenna and everything but yeah it, it's it's something uh, you're right it's, it's something you need to think about mm. uh, well, well you make you make some very excellent points and, and you give some good advice there so that's uh, thanks for that yeah anyway um Next week, it is a side quest, and the next Dark Ages book we look at is Clan Book Salubri, which I think is going to be really interesting. Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, well, I, I would like to do a shout-out to, to one of our newest members, actually, because none other than, than Justin Achille, or is it Achille? I, my apologies, I <laughs> keep forgetting, but, but Justin, uh, who, who has read a lot of books and, and was basically the the face and the fangs of, of Vampire the Masquerades for, for many years has joined the podcast groups. So uh, uh, a really warm welcome to him and to all of our other new members and listeners. Uh, I really hope you enjoy the show. Uh, and please don't sue us. <laughs> yeah, um, should probably also mention that uh, uh, Justin has recently returned to um, uh, Vampire and is now working on the new edition of Vampire and has moved to some uh, godforsaken hellhole of a country. Yeah, exactly. More specifically, he's, he's, yeah, he's moved to Sweden yeah. for those. those oh, who don't poor, know, poor guy, poor guy. Yeah, anyway, so. uh, with that, it is um, goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.